Everyone enjoy the Fight Club so far? Alright, okay. So what is the Fight Club series about? Alright, just uh, very quickly give you a very quick preview. See, there are many stories of fights or battles in the Bible. But the greatest fight was when Jesus fought for us. Our life and also our future. When He went to the cross for us. You see, because God is always fighting for us, our career, our finances, our relationships and our identity, we also fight to make Him Lord over every area of our lives. Amen? But the fight doesn't stop there. We also need to fight for the furthest heart because Christ has first fought for us. You see that empty space there? That is the 130 youth that's going to be in youth 130 later. Alright, so let us fight for the furthest heart. Let us fill that place. Alright, amen? Church, okay? So in round one, we heard about the first fight. How God became flesh to wrestle with Jacob that produced faith and trust towards God, shifting him from wrestling to clinging. In round two, first strike, we learn that how we think of God determines our confidence in Him, ultimately leading to the choices we make and our victories in life. And last week, Pastor Kevin preached to us in round three, we hear that our God is a jealous God because He wants, to exp- he wants us to experience His distinct glory that is man's all and allow Him to do amazing things through our lives. And so today, I want to give you a slight twist from a very familiar story in the Bible. A prophet who fought against God's will. You see, the story of Jonah speaks to many of us who, had some, who at some point in our lives struggle with obeying God. How many of you have ever heard the story of Jonah before? Can I see a raise of hands? All right. So all of us learn it. If you have a question long enough, you've probably heard this story about, you know, especially if you're growing up in children's church. There's uh, some weeks that we have Abby try to give you that stop motion uh, Jonah story, right? But, you know, this is a, dif- a different twist. You know, I hope it will give you a new perspective on a very uh, famous traditional story. Amen? Amen? So, Jonah chapter 1 says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. You see, the story starts with, the Lord gave this message to Jonah. See, God had called the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh to send a message of warning to them. See, this was unusual because up until this time, prophets were sent only to God's people, the Jews, to bring them a word or probably a message to warn, to change, or to rescue them, but not to the non-Jews. Yes, of course, there were prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Amos that briefly prophesied to non-Jews, but they were never actually sent to those nations. Jonah was commanded to go into Nineveh and preach to his people. You see, this was unprecedented. Nineveh, was a great big capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of the time. You see, its kings, right, would often celebrate their military victories by displaying the chop heads, all right, and bodies of the people they conquered. And then they would force the the people that they chop off their heads, yeah, they force their family members and their relatives, right, to carry their heads and walk through the city just to humiliate them. Alright, and they would also uh, pull out the prisoners' tongues. You know, I can't figure out why you want to do that, you know, but... (laughs) 
Yesterday I was in Haiti Lao, I ate a duck tongue. So I'm thinking probably is that, you know. <laughs> Alright? Okay? Or they would also pull, you know, uh, uh, the, their bodies apart until they broke in half. How many of you watched the movie Braveheart before? Alright, Braveheart, right? You know, in the last scene, uh, they, they, uh, uh, Mel Gibson, alright? So they used two horses to pull Mel Gibson apart. Of course, they never show you the actual thing. Lah. It's not a horror movie, okay? But that was what they did, alright? Pull them apart, alright? Or they would pile up all the dead bodies like a mountain, alright? Just to show off how many people they killed. And those who survived were forced into slavery. See, the Assyrians were what you would call a terrorist state. Yet, shockingly, this was a nation of the God of Israel wanted to redeem and rescue. This was a nation that God chose to focus his missionary outreach. So the question is this, how could a good God give a nation like this even a chance to experience his mercy? Why would God be helping the enemies of his people? But the biggest surprise is this, the biggest surprise is the man who God chose to send. See, not much is said about Jonah in the introduction except that he was the son of Amittai. Alright? Just to say like that, he's the son of Amittai. It's just like saying, George, the son of Christopher mm, That's it. Alright? Uh, Kevin Lu, the son of Peter Lu. That's it. Never say anything anymore. Alright? So we don't know actually what is this guy about. But if you look at 2 Kings 14, it tells us that he ministered during the reign of Israel's king, Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam, the king, was known for being a king that was unjust and unfaithful. He was also very ambitious with an aggressive military policy that aimed to expand his nation's power and influence. All right? And Jonah was a big supporter of the king. So Jonah was what you would call a diehard nationalist and a patriot. And so the fact that God chose a man like this to preach and warn a cruel nation that was his mortal, his political and religious enemy made no sense to him on so many different levels. Yeah. Alright? Firstly, why? Firstly, he hated and feared the Assyrians for their cruelty and who they are. Secondly, it made no practical sense for him to be sent there. You see, Nineveh was described as a great city, alright? The cultural and financial epicenter of Assyria. Now, why would they want to listen to him who was firstly, an enemy, correct? Secondly, a nobody. Who is, the, who is Jonah? Xiang Lai. I don't know who is this guy. Alright, he was unqualified on so many levels. And thirdly, you know, all throughout history, Jewish prophets have prophesied that God would destroy Nineveh for his evil. See, Jews were also God's chosen people, correct? The ones that he would use to fulfill his purposes in the world. So it would only make perfect sense that God would use a Jewish prophet and a patriot like Jonah to bring judgment, yeah? Judgment or punishment to the Assyrians. So if God rescues them, the Ninevites, wouldn't, be, wouldn't he be, firstly, breaking his own promise to Israel? Correct? Secondly, contradicting all his prophets. Correct? I'll say it makes no sense at all. There's simply no justification and no logical sense for this assignment. But this is exactly what God did. And this set up an epic, epic fight, an epic battle between Jonah and God. So when God called Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh, to the east, he purposely rose and went in the opposite direction to Tarsus in the west. 
called to a big city. He bought a one-way ticket to the smaller city. Directed to go by land, he chose a boat and traveled by sea. This guy, susah. See, Jonah had a big problem with the job he was given. But he had a bigger problem with the one who gave him the job. See, Jonah concluded that because he could not see any good reasons or logic for God's command, then there couldn't be any. Jonah doubted the goodness, the wisdom, and the justice of God. You see, we've all had these experiences in our lives. God calls us to do something that makes no sense. You know, that great opportunity, that relationship, that perfect job, that career, that business. They look like something that comes only once in a lifetime. But somehow God says, no. No. Or I'd rather, son, daughter, Terry, I'd rather you not. All right, I'd rather you not. And so we think, and then Terry thinks, God, I don't think you know what you're doing. And so when this happens, we have to decide, does God know what's best or do we? Unfortunately, most of the time, we always think that we do. You see, we, we doubt that God is really good or that He is really committed to our happiness. And thus, since we can't see any good reasons for something God says or does, we assume that there mustn't be any. And so that's what happened to Adam and Eve. God told them that they could eat from any tree in a garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the fruit looks so good and pleasing and desirable. A durian, maybe, I don't know. What is so wrong about a durian? God, smells so good. Looks, okay lah. Quite funky lah, you know. A lot of thorns, you know. Quite funky, you know. But man, it looks so pleasing, alright. And God gave them no reason why it was wrong to eat their durian. So Adam and Eve, like Jonah, decided that if, if they couldn't think of a good reason for a command of God, then there couldn't be one. They didn't trust that God had that best interest in mind. And so they ate. And so, so often, we disobey God because we don't trust that He has our best interest in mind. How could something so right be so wrong, God? And so we go ahead and do those things that goes against what God, our parents, our pastor, our leaders, our group friends tell us not to. And so Jonah runs, but God won't let him go. See, God throws a storm upon the sea. See, it was so strong that it almost breaks the ship that he was sitting apart. If Jonah refuses to go into the great city, God says, he will go into a great storm. You see, this act of God teaches us that every time we disobey God, there are storms attached to it. See, the Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin. All right, the story of Job shows us that even good people go through sufferings. But it does teach us that every sin will bring us into difficulty. See, we cannot continuously mistreat our bodies, eat junk food. All right, these past two weeks I was moving house. Almost every meal, I, there's a McDonald's involved. All right, it's either a breakfast or a lunch or a dinner, right? Every meal for the past two weeks, there was a McDonald's involved. All right. So, I'm going to have to pay for the consequences. So yesterday morning, I went for yoga, intense yoga for one and a half hours, right, to 
to clear myself of that guilt, all right? But there are consequences, all right? So you cannot eat, keep eating junk food. Mama, all right? Not exercise, yet expect to have good health, all right? We cannot treat people badly and expect to maintain that friendship. We can't cheat and lie, have that affair, have that fling, without destroying the trust and love of a relationship. We can't be self-centered. We can't be selfish, be a loner that floats in and out of church or move around churches, or shop for churches. Wow. I said yesterday, right? Some of us like to shop churches, all right? We go online. What's the best deal? Wow, this church, huh? collective. Hmm. Best deal, or some of the best deals, all right? Wow, the people love me, okay? Wow. I don't have so, so much. Wow, not bad, some more. Wow, lucky better. This one the best deal. I don't have to give. Wow, even better. No need to give offering, all right? Don't need to give one my time. Wow, this one means all the best deal. 11, 11, I'm going to buy collective church. Best deal among all the churches. So we shop for churches, okay? So you cannot move around churches, float in and out of churches, all right? Or not come for service. Just watch online and expect to have a healthy community. So those of you watching online, I'm talking to you right now. All right, don't be watching online all the time at home, all right? You're not going to have community. Who are you going to have community with? Your computer? Cannot, right? Cannot, right? Or your dog or your cat? Cannot, all right? I know, I know, there are certain times that you should watch online. But you cannot have a healthy community watching online. Right. Alright, so I'm looking at the camera now. Ladies and gentlemen, you're watching online. Come to church. Have a healthy community. Alright? Amen? So if we go against the design and the purpose of things, sin against our bodies, our relationships, our society, they will strike back. See, if we violate the laws of God, we are violating our own design there are consequences. So it is the same when we disobey God. See, God created us to live for Him. When we build our lives and meaning on anything more than God, we go against the grain and the structure of life. And it will ultimately lead to breakdown, to emptiness, to a deep sense of unfulfillment. For Jonah, the result of his, this, of his disobedience was quick and immediate. See, God threw a mighty storm at him. However, there are times the results of sin and disobedience are not immediately felt. You know, it's like getting an addiction, all right? At first, it feels great. It feels satisfying, but eventually leads to sufferings. And it feels impossible for you to get yourself out or turn back. You know, uh, with choices in life that we make, eh? sometimes with relationships, with that opportunity, that path. You know, at the beginning, it felt so good, so right, and you're so sure. That guy, wow, perfect guy. That girl, man, she's so pretty. Like all the Korean actress, so pretty, all right? Uh, how to, the girl of my dreams. You know, years ago we had this, uh, there was this article that they printed, right? That, you know, the top 10 finalists for the Miss Korea, right? Universe, they all look the same. Wow. So. <laughs> something to make you laugh, okay? But they all, really, I'm not joking, right? This is really in the article one, right? They all look the same. So they all make the face of the all the same, all right? So, so it feels so good. So, right, I mean, that guy knows me so well. Wow, understands me, all right? And understands everything about me, all right? So it feels so good, all right? So, or right now, you might have achieved everything that you wanted. Or you might have failed miserably on the other hand. And so right now, there's an emptiness. There's a restlessness. There's a lack of peace. There's turmoil. 
and sadness in your life. Or it could be that, it could be that you ran away from God, from what God called you to do years ago. And right now, you sense that you are at the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. You feel so far away from God. And then, there are so much regrets in your life. You know, friends, it could be that you are in a storm. You see, Jonah could not see that deep within the terror of the storm, God's mercy was at work, drawing him back to change his heart. See, maybe God is putting those storms in your life to try to pull you back, to bring you back to the life you were meant to live, at the centre of His will. See, when God wanted to make Abraham into a man of faith, who could be the father of all the faithful, He put him through years of unfulfilled promises. When God wanted to send Joseph from an arrogant, spoiled teenager into a man of character, all right, we often uh, listen to the story of Joseph, right? We always like to uh, remember him. You know, we have this problem, all right, when we read the Bible of David, la, Jacob, la, Joseph, la, right? We always focus on the finished product, all right? He is the second most powerful man that saved his entire nation and his people, all right? David, the great general, all right? Jacob, the what? You know, all these things, all right? But we often forget about the flaws they used, they used to have. And God changed them along the way. We forget about that. All right, so Joseph was an arrogant and spoiled teenager. All right, come to think of it, right? This guy, who in the world will go and tell all his brothers? All right, even though God tell you, okay? But come on, you don't have to say one, ma. So God told him that one day you will rule over your brothers, all your brothers. All your brothers will bow down before him. So this guy, right, go and really go and tell the brothers. All of you will one day rule before me, rule, bow down to me and serve me. All right, come on, guys. This guy got IQ, but the EQ was zero, okay? Zero. Correct or not? So, you know, so he was arrogant. He was spoiled, all right? Teenager. Uh, and God had to, God wanted to turn him into a man of character. So he put him through years of rough treatment, all right? Slavery, betrayal, imprisonment, before he could become the second most powerful man in the country and save his people. Moses had to become a fugitive and spend 40 years in a lonely wilderness before he could lead. Again, church, the Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach us that for Christians, every difficulty can help reduce the power of sin over our lives. See, storms wake us up to truths we wouldn't know otherwise. It develops faith, wisdom, humility, and strength in us that nothing else can. Only because some great storm drove us towards God. Amen. Amen. Well, the storm itself was not enough to totally turn Jonah around. You see, the story goes on to say that God chose a great fish to swallow him. As much as God wanted to teach Jonah a lesson by throwing him off the boat, in his severe mercy, he also used another threat to rescue him. A big fish by swallowing him. All right, growing up, we always say that the big fish is a, is a whale, all right? Uh, we're not here to try to prove what kind of fish is there, right? It could be a whale, it could be a fish, it could, I don't know what kind of fish is there, okay? But anyway, it's a big fish, all right? We're not here to try to prove that, okay? But the thing is this, the fish should have killed him, but instead, it kept him alive in his belly. God kept Jonah in this prison because he was not done with what he wanted to teach Jonah. All right, so he kept 
Jonah in the prison or the fish belly because he wanted to teach Jonah a lesson. With that, God wanted to show him another act of deliverance and another act of mercy. See, my friends, sometimes when we fight against God by our disobedience, it takes a radical treatment for a radical cure. The choices Jonah made were step by step bringing him further and further down the wrong trajectory of his life. What do I mean by that? You see, he first ran down to the port of Joppa to escape to Tarsis, correct? So he went down to a port called Joppa, all right? Then he went down to a ship. After he went down to the ship, he went to the lowest level of the ship, going down to the bottom of the ship. And after that, when he was thrown off the ship into the ocean, the fish swallowed him. And the fish brought him further down into the depths of the ocean. All the way down. Not until Jonah was all the way down, hitting rock bottom, finally stripped of all his self-independence, that deliverance was finally possible. See, there was a fatal flaw in Jonah's character. And it will be hidden from him as long as his life was going well. Sometimes there are fatal flaws in our lives that only through a complete failure that we begin to see those flaws and change. It is only when we reach the very bottom, when things fall apart, when all our schemes and all our resources are broken and exhausted, that we finally, that we are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. You see, friends, you never realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. If Jonah was to finally get up, both from the water and in faith, he had to be brought to the very end of himself. The way up was first of all down. Because the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God, secrets of God's grace, is always at the bottom. And so it was, and so it was at the lowest bottom, in the prison or the belly of a fish that Jonah finally repents and pleads to God for mercy. See, the story says that the Lord hears him and, release, and releases him from the belly of the fish. Alright? So, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. This time, alright? This time, he asked for mercy already. So this time, God spoke to him again. Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. The Bible says, this time, Jonah never argue anymore, never run away anymore. He obeys God, obeys the Lord's command, and went to Nineveh. Alright? So the story says that he delivered God's warning. And all the great city of Nineveh, all of them repented. Alright? So when God saw what they had done, and how they had put a stop to all their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Good ending, am I right? All right. Most of the time when we uh, read the book of uh, Jonah or we hear the story of Jonah, right? And that's probably the end already. All right. We are happy. Okay. The, it was a good ending. All right. So children should always said, okay, finish. No more already. All right. But most people that have read or heard the story of Jonah think of this as the end. See, he had repented. He, had, he was released from the fish and finally obeyed God to preach to the Ninevites. And to top it all off, the evil Ninevites actually turned from their evil ways. 
and God spared them from destruction. See, this is a triumphant and perfect ending, don't you think? Yet there is a final surprising chapter that reveals Jonah's fight with God is yet to be concluded. That God is still not done with him. See, the Bible recounts this, yeah? It says, this change of plans greatly upsets Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tashis. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if I predicted, if what I predicted will not happen. So that's the reason why you always teach this in children's church, all right? This guy is so childish. Just like a kid like that. You never do what I want. Hmm. All right, just like a kid. There's a reason why they say he's one of the worst prophets in the Bible. Right, so this guy will say, just kill me. Jonah. See, his reaction was shocking. It made no sense. I want to add that childish. See, what was Jonah's problem? Jonah had a problem. Mr. God asked him, what's the problem with you? What's the problem with you? I've got a problem. All right, so Jonah had a problem. You see, although he repented and obeyed God to preach to the Ninevites, yet deep in his heart, he still bore a deep-seated hatred towards them. See, deep in his heart, he was only willing to obey God to preach to his enemies. But deep in his heart, he wished God wouldn't actually spare them. And when God actually did, it drove him to a meltdown of furious rage. See, Jonah's real problem was at the deepest level of his heart. See, deep inside of him was something that he valued more than God. What was that? His patriotic nationalism for his country and also for his race. You see, Jonah, many people say uh, Jonah is actually a racist. You know, when I say that, a lot of people laugh, all right? But the truth of the matter, he is a racist, all right? He felt that his race, uh, the protection of his race, was more important than the will of God, was more important than the mercies of God. Oh, you know, what, uh, Nazism, right? Nazis, yeah. all right? Those of you that know Nazis, uh, Nazis or Nazism, right? It was the same problem. The Nazis actually are Christians that fear God, worship God. But they felt that only their race was worth preserving. Only their race was worth saving. That's why they tried to destroy all other races. Because they felt that on this earth there could be only one race called the Nazis. So it's exactly what Jonah is. He felt that his race was more important than any other thing. Amen? Yeah. Racist. And his deep hatred for his enemies. So it didn't matter that Nineveh's repentance was pleasing to God. At the core of it, he only wanted what he wanted. So he obeyed God to control God. See, a lot of us do that. We obey God to control God. Alright? What do I mean by that? 
See friends, his explosive anger shows that he was willing to discard his relationship with God if he does not get what he wants. So when you say, I won't serve you God if you don't give me this, if you don't give me this thing, then this thing is your true bottom line, your highest love, your real God, the thing that you most trust and rest in. And so here is Jonah saying to God, I'd rather be dead than alive if you don't give me this thing. What is that thing in your life that is more important than God? Ask yourself, what is that thing in your life that is more important than God that you are willing to make compromises for? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it acceptance? Is this likes in your Instagram? Is it a career? So what are the things? What is that one thing in your life that God, this one you cannot touch. I can serve you, I can honour you, I can do everything for you, but this one is non-negotiable. This one you cannot touch. All of us have that in our lives. All of us have this in our lives. So, And so God had to deal with Jonah again by quietly rebuking him with a question. See, this time, God was very gentle with him, right? God was very gentle with Jonah. He never throws a storm at him anymore, all right? So he gently and quietly asked him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Classic, lah, this guy. Right, classic man. So he went to find a shelter and then sit there. See God, see how you destroy them. I hope you destroy them. So he sat there and see what God would do to the city. So and the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. See, this is his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. You see, God was still gracious and merciful to him, even in his disobedience. See, that's the wonder and the beauty of our God, that sometimes even in our disobedience, that God is still merciful to us. But of course, God also has to continue to deal with him like, uh, okay? So what did God do? God arranged for a worm. It tells home. Alright? The next morning, at the dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death certainly is better than living like this. One more time again, say, I want to die again, this guy. Death is certainly better than living like this, God! He exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? See, God very gently talked to him again, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes! Yes, Lord! Yes! Even angry enough to die! Again, he said. My gosh! Then the Lord said, You feel sorry for the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. 
it came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? You know that was the end of Jonah? It was open-ended. It was open-ended. Can I have the musicians to come up? You know, friends, in the first part of the story of Jonah, he disobeys and runs away from God. And God throws a storm at him, yet choosing a fish to swallow him, punishing him and rescuing him both together at once. Amen? Punishing him and rescuing him both together at once before Jonah ultimately repents and asks for God's grace. In the second part, however, Jonah obeys God's command to go and preach to Nineveh, yet gets furious with self-righteous anger at God's graciousness and mercy to sinners. But yet God still extended mercy to him, this time dealing gently with him by providing him a shelter for him to sulk, you know, for him to, you know, for him to sulk lah. Alright? Maybe give him a break. Alright? Eventually, God had to continue dealing with him. So God killed the plant that was shading him and threw a scorching wind at him. And so this is the beauty and the mystery of God's mercy. That He uses various methods. Sometimes severe, sometimes fatal but also sometimes gentle. But hidden within all of that is His love for us, our life and our future. You see, if God were to give us everything that we want, that would be a bribe, correct? And God doesn't do bribes. You know, Oscar Wilde has a very famous saying that says this, the best way to destroy a person is to give him everything he wants. Answer all his prayers. That is not our God. The story of Jonah, with all its twists and turns, you know, it's like watching a Netflix series, 13 episodes. So many twists and so many turns. It's about how God can take us, sometimes gently by the hand, Come, let me bring you, let me guide you, let me correct you. But also other times, forcefully by our necks, pulling us, pull us by ear maybe, you know, like a kid. Say, bow, come here like you. Pull us back into the right way. Even when we fight against Him. To bring us back into His perfect will for our lives even when we may be going down the wrong path or making the wrong choices. See, we can fight and we can run. We can use multiple strategies to fight and run. You know, God, one punch, we, another we, different strategy. We try to punch Him back. We defend. We use different strategies. 
but he varies and changes his strategies also and continually extends mercy and grace to us in new ways even though we don't understand or deserve it this morning church let us behold the mystery and the beauty of the mercies of God. Amen.